Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. In light of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, we're doing a special series entitled Grace and Justification between now and that 500th anniversary, which is the end of October. I'd like to take a moment and give a special welcome also to any Protestant listeners. I just completed a book by the name of this series, Grace and Justification, and it's subtitled An Evangelical's Guide to Catholic Beliefs. And in the book, I try to show how both Catholic beliefs and Protestant beliefs compare and contrast with each other. I try to do it in a very fair manner. So if you're a Protestant listening, I hope that I will treat you absolutely fairly, and I think you'll learn more about justification hearing both perspectives rather than just being exposed to one. But somebody might ask the question, well, isn't this justification a long-settled topic with Protestants? I mean, it's been almost 500 years here at the end of October. No, it isn't. I attended a few years back the annual meeting of the Evangelical Theological Society, which is composed of the theologians and philosophers in the evangelical world, the professors in colleges and universities. And this particular year, when they met in Atlanta, it was the largest attendance that they ever had at their annual meeting, and the theme of the entire conference was justification. So this is anything but a settled issue within Protestant circles. There is an Anglican scholar, in my opinion, he's probably the best New Testament scholar in the English-speaking world. His name is Dr. N.T. Wright, and he has really stirred the waters regarding justification. He is one of a few scholars who came up with what's been termed the new perspective on St. Paul. In my book, if you're interested in this, chapter 11, I devote to explaining what the new perspective is. But in a nutshell, Scott Hahn said this about Dr. Wright, and Dr. Wright's last name is spelled W-R-I-G-H-T. Scott said, if Wright is right, then Luther is wrong. And you know, A lot of evangelicals are really being challenged by Dr. Wright and the new perspective. Just to give you an example, I won't explain how I ended up there, but in a nearby Baptist university right here in Greenville, I was in a New Testament survey class. I was sitting in, and the professor was in a big hurry to get through all the books of the New Testament, and then he came to Romans, and he stopped. He took a deep breath, sat down on his desk, thought for a moment, and then looked at the students and said, I think you should be aware that we're going to take a new approach as we study Romans. And basically, this young Baptist scholar had been exposed to a new perspective, and it was changing his view of the epistles to Romans, and it was changing his views on justification. This is after 500 years. So there's a lot of momentous things going on right now. And while we're at it, talking about the Evangelical Theological Society, the president of the Evangelical Theological Society, Dr. Frank Beckwith, a professor at Baylor, while he was president of the society, resigned and converted to Catholicism. 
And his first visit back to the annual conference, I was thinking, why are they going to let Frank back here? But they actually gave him a workshop at the Evangelical Theological Society, and his topic was Thomas Aquinas and justification. So I got down there early. I was thinking, boy, I sure hope somebody comes and listens to Frank. The room was packed, I'm sure, beyond what the fire marshal would allow and spilled out into the hallways. There is an eagerness to re-examine almost after 500 years. It's almost like it's been dormant, then all of a sudden somebody put water on this plant called justification, and now there's a lot of real good deep, serious questions being raised. And here's something just happened this week. I know a a young man received a copy of my new book, Grace and Justification, out in Colorado, and he was opening the package in the home of a wonderful evangelical family. As soon as he opened the package, the wife took one look at the title and says, boy, I'd really like to read that. Do you see how this works? Um, I urge Catholics listening don't sit out the opportunity of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Don't sit out the opportunity that something very significant is happening with the study of justification. And with that, when you think, this is, so to speak, you know, the when you talk about the creation of the universe and the first causes of things, well, this was the first cause of the Protestant Reformation. This was the big bang, so to speak, that launched 500 years of Protestantism, basically the English-speaking world and so many different branches of the Catholic Church have splintered off into all kinds of, of different groups. How ironic that once we think this is so far in the past is now coming to the surface. All I'm saying, the evangelicals seem to be, and I'm talking about the top-notch bright scholars. I mean, I was in workshops where we were discussing a particular verb in a particular sentence in the Greek New Testament, and nobody needed to even open the Greek New Testament. These guys knew what each other were talking about. So these are bright guys, very aware that there's some momentous changes going on with justification. So don't snore through the 500th anniversary. Get yourself equipped, and that's why we're doing this series. Now, a good question to ask right at the beginning, what is justification? Because if you ask a lot of Christians, they'll just stare. Well, justification, this is how it works. We are, because of original sin, born into a state of unrighteousness. And because of sin and unrighteousness, we're alienated from God. And if we depart from this life in a state of unrighteousness, we spend eternity in hell. So this is a really big deal. And what justification is, is that state of righteousness. So you move from unrighteousness to righteousness, and that is justification. Now, it's a little confusing, but when you read, for instance, in Paul's epistle to Romans, the word righteousness, that is a synonym for the English word justification. There's a single Greek word and a single Greek word root for a number of related words. For instance, 
I'm going to the theme of the entire epistle of Romans right now, to Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. St. Paul says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. He who through faith is righteous shall live. This is talking about justification by faith. Just remember, in English, righteousness and justification are more or less synonyms. So we're talking about justification by faith or righteousness that comes through faith. So that's what justification is. It's taking us out of the state of unrighteousness to a state of righteousness. Now, uh, why is it important? Oh, my. (laughs) This is so important. But, you know, I'm not going to go to the subjective. Uh, We really want to start our theology with God himself. And this is what the Catechism of the Catholic Church, quoting St. Augustine, says, justification is the most excellent work of God's love made manifest in Christ Jesus and granted by the Holy Spirit. It is the opinion of St. Augustine that the justification of the wicked is a greater work than the creation of heaven and earth. This is greater than the entire universe. Thomas Aquinas said, the justification of the ungodly is greater than the creation of heaven and earth. Folks, this is the greatest thing there is. And a lot of people in our world who are now ramping up on opiate addictions and everything else are obviously empty. Uh, Alcohol addiction, pornography addiction, sin addiction, whatever. People are stuffing themselves full of, of goods, of sins, trying to fill a certain void that's meant to be filled by the love of God. So ultimately, as we study justification, yes, this is a doctrine. We want to study the differences and similarities between Protestants and Catholics, but ultimately, we want to come to the point where we bow our knees in just awe at the manifold love of God, that even though we're undeserving in our unrighteousness, that if we, through the gift of faith, trust in Jesus Christ, he will lead us to a state of righteousness. Okay, so that's the good news. Now, this is the sad part. This is where the divisions of Christians come in. And this is the big question. What causes the five centuries, five centuries, think about it, of confusion over justification? I mean, you have Protestant apologists that load their cannons and pow, blast them towards the Catholics. And uh, Catholics uh, through the centuries, and there's a whole bunch of apologists today, load their cannons and pow, send them back towards the Protestants. Now, I'm showing my age here, but one of my all-time favorite movies is Cool Hand Luke. And if you're a younger listener, I always ask younger people when we're talking about favorite movies, have you seen Cool Hand Luke? And if I remember right, it's black and white, and they look at me sideways. What movie in black and white is any good? Well, Cool Hand Luke is one of my favorite. Paul Newman, Cool Hand Luke, escapes from this Southern Road Gang, and they catch him, bring him back, and are about to really lay into him in a big way. And the commander of the Road Gang, through his uh, aviator uh, reflective glasses, says, 
what we have here is a failure to communicate. In other words, Luke wasn't receptive (laughs) to what he was being told to do. And that's the basic cause of 500 years of division between Protestants and Catholics. It's a failure to communicate, and I'll tell you why. Um, There are differing definitions that Protestants and Catholics have regarding what justification is. The basic idea I just gave you, but many Protestants aren't aware that when Catholics talk about justification, they're defining that word, they're talking about something in a different manner than the way they understand it. Let me give you a concrete example. I was giving a lecture right here in Greenville And there happened to be about a dozen uh, theology students with their Greek New Testaments there. I was talking on justification. And there was the head of the Ph.D. department for Bob Jones University there. So obviously, you know, he was pretty well versed in the Protestant understanding of justification. But he kind of leveled an accusation at me. And I, you know, he kept saying, you're changing the definition. You're changing the definition. I said, no, I'm not changing the definition. I'm giving you two definitions because there are two definitions. He was only aware of the Protestant definition. He was assuming that the Catholics had the same definition or somehow I was playing fast and loose and changing the definition so I could sneak in the Catholic understanding of justification. And I think there are Catholics who assume the Protestants have their definition of justification. So we have a massive five centuries of failure to communicate. So, and actually this is quite simple to explain. And once you get it, uh, you really are on your way to a very better understanding of the differences between Protestants and Catholics and You know, I've explained last broadcast, I went 20 years before I ran into Catholics who could explain to me justification. So knowing what I'm about to say, it's very simple. If you can share this, even though you may not know as much about the Scripture and say like the Epistle to Romans as your evangelical friend, you will help them immensely. And here it is. In the Protestant definition of justification, it refers to what you could call the very first moment of justification. In other words, if a person has faith, trusting in Jesus, and the moment they're justified, that's the Protestant definition. Nothing follows um, as far as justification is concerned. There are other related doctrines. There's other things that happen in the Christian's life but the Protestants don't call that justification. Now let's go to the Catholics. In the Catholic understanding, from the first moment of faith, a person's justification runs their entire Christian life. In other words, Protestant, first moment, Catholics, the entire Christian life. So there's other things in your life, the growth in holiness, uh, faith working through love, our union with Christ. In the Catholic definition of justification, all of that is included. Do you see that? Now, let's go back. 
And here's an amazing similarity between Protestants and Catholics that many Protestants and Catholics do not know. If you think about it, the Protestant definition of justification covers the first moment, and they insist that that is only by faith because there's no sequence to follow, so there's no good works or anything attached because it's just the first moment. In the Catholic definition or understanding of justification, there is what's called first justification. In other words, the first step, the first moments. And it's amazingly similar, not completely identical, but amazingly similar to the Protestant definition. So the Catholic first justification, the first moment of Catholic justification is by faith, just like Paul says in Romans, and the Protestant entire definition of justification is by faith. And this is this is amazing unity right here. And if you can explain that, because a Protestant will want to guard the fact that when we initially come to God, we come as sinners. And hear this very carefully. God saves sinners. If you come to God as some self-righteous, pious pig, you will be rejected by God, okay? He only accepts sinners, and Protestants have this absolutely right. Catholic theology has this absolutely right, although Catholics in the pew sometimes don't get this, thinking I have to be a good person so God can accept me. No, God accepts you as a sinner by faith, and then he transforms your being so that you can live in an acceptable manner. But the first justification in Catholicism is like Protestantism. In other words, you come as a sinner and you're accepted as a sinner, and because God is love, he can even love sinners. And this is something that's very hard to get through anybody's skull, that God who really, really knows me, even my thoughts, even the intentions of my heart, and even if they're divided, if I've done things I'm terribly ashamed of, he can still love me if I trust him by faith, okay? So that's the first moment of justification. Now I'd like to tell you about the most boring section of my new book that um, I doubt if many Catholics will even read it. It's only two pages in chapter three. On the surface, it appears so boring, I really doubt that many will read it, but there's going to be a few evangelicals if you share that book with them and read this boring portion of chapter three of my book, Grace and Justification, that could open up a whole new vista. Because the question then would would revolve around then the question of, well, which definition is more accurate. And if we're going to use the Bible as our ecumenical document, and I think that's a great thing to do, then we have to ask ourselves, which definition of justification is closer to the Bible's teaching? And if you want the Bible's teaching on justification, there's two epistles that you can go to, Galatians and Romans, and Romans is the most comprehensive. Let's just talk about Romans for a minute. Okay, is the Protestant notion of justification, that first moment only, that's, that's limited to justification, is that closest to Romans teaching, or is the Catholic comprehensive definition the closest to Catholic teaching? 
And now you go to that most boring two pages of my book. And I have an outline of Romans, and it's a very common outline that you would find in most any evangelical uh, commentary, although I tried to make mine quite simple. I, I do an outline of Romans using the Protestant definition. The theme of the whole epistle, hang on now with me, because this is on the surface very boring, and if you know what you're doing, this is earth-shaking. Okay, the, the theme of Romans is the verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. And after introducing the theme of Romans, which is justification by faith, and that's believed by both Protestants and Catholics, then in the next uh, couple of chapters, uh, the rest of chapter 1 through the first paragraph of chapter 3, St. Paul describes the universal spread of sin to both Jew and Gentile. And both Protestants and Catholics agree on that. So the theme we've got, justification by faith. The next couple of chapters, the universal spread of sin to both Jew and Gentile. So because of the spread of unrighteousness, there's a universal need for righteousness or justification. Now here comes the rub. In the Protestant outline of Romans, justification, and again, this is narrowly defined by faith alone for both Jew and Gentiles, covers chapters 3 and 4, okay? Now, there's other things, obviously, because there's 16 chapters in Romans. There's things of sanctification. There's adoption. There's union with Christ. There's the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer and such. But those are other categories. Those are distinct categories from justification in the Protestant view. So if you look at it, the theme, Romans 1, the universal spread of unrighteousness and sin, Romans end of chapter 1, 2, and beginning of 3, and then you have chapters 3 and 4 devoted to justification, okay? That's the Protestant outline of Romans relating to justification. Now, Let's go to the Catholic outline. I told you this is going to appear boring, but hang on. We're coming to it. All right. The Catholic outline begins the same way, the theme of Romans, justification by faith, 1, 16 through 17. Next, the universal spread of sin, same passages, 1, 18 to 3, 10. Now, the rub. Justification defined comprehensively. Justification by faith defined comprehensively comprehensively, runs from chapters 3 through chapter 11. In other words, rather than chapters 3 and 4, it's chapters 3 through 11. And then there's things, kind of practical things, uh, chapters 12 through 15, and then 16, there's greetings and such like that. But if you would add scholar N.T. Wright's New Perspective with the Catholic definition of justification, guess what? It covers the entire epistle. Now, I just need to <laughs> kind of explain to Catholics why this is so important. You know, there are churches you're going to drive by, and I'll say, um, I'll just say, well, I'm here in Greenville. It'll say Greenville Bible Church. In other words, they see their church as rooted in the Bible. 
And if they're a Protestant church, what they're protesting is over the doctrine of justification. And their Bible church uses fundamentally the first four chapters of Romans to describe what they believe. Whereas the Catholic faith uses the entire doctrinal section of the epistle to Romans for what they believe. And which is the more Bible-based oriented church when it comes to justification? One who uses less than a handful of chapters or one that uses all of the chapters? Do you get this? And so the main difference, again, this stems from your definition because if it's so limited, you're using a limited portion of Romans. And in my book, Grace and Justification, I ask this um, very simple question. A couple times in the book, I ask questions rather than just making statements. And here's a question for you, okay? How much of an author's work is devoted to his theme? I mean, in a way, this is a stupid question, but I'm trying to get you to really think here. In other words, even if you're in high school and you're writing a paper, a term paper, you have a purpose statement and you basically have a theme that you're going to develop. And if you start running off on rabbit trails unrelated to your theme, your teacher's going to start marking you from A, B to C minus because you haven't kept your theme. Even rookie authors know that any book is going to have to be united around its theme. And and hear this, the epistle to Romans is without question, St. Paul's most uh, theologically extensive epistle that he wrote. And you're saying, and, and again, there's the theme that's agreed on with Protestants and Catholics. The theme of Romans is justification by faith. And essentially, after they get done with the universal spread of sin, hence the need for justification, you have two chapters on justification. Catholics, the whole epistle. Think about that. Think about that. You know, I, I asked a question in the book. This is another question I ask. Are Catholics complete idiots? I mean, why in the world would they keep an epistle like this around for two centuries so that both Protestants and Catholics can enjoy it? Why wouldn't they just let the manuscripts kind of get lost someplace in some old archive and have a Raiders of the Lost Ark go look for it type of thing? No, it's front and center. It's kept in the Bible. And we're not using a few chapters, we're using all the chapters for the Catholic definition that justification covers the entire Christian life, just like the Epistle of Romans. I'm Steve Wood. You've been listening to episode 173 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.